All right, we're going to deep dive on this, folks. Five reasons why you will financially benefit from blockchain. You're going to want to listen to this one for sure. This is going to change your world. Welcome to the club. This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music industry leverage is what it's going to take it's not about your talent your potential it's about what have you done for me lately what have you done for me lately and that's what's going to get you the management deal that's what's going to get you the record deal that's what's going to get you the publishing deal that's what's going to get you the tour support and the booking agent and everything that you need is going to come to you when you can prove that what you're doing has Value and you have traffic. It's all about traffic. So why we call it the climb, C-L-I-M-B, creating leverage in the music business. That's right. That's genius. That's a Baxter name. It's from my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter, who's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. Got a couple number ones last year, so he's killing it. It's shaping up to be even a better year this year, I think, as we move up that ladder. We're trying. What I love about Brent is that he's going to teach songwriters like you how to be pro by revealing how to write like a pro, do business like a pro. And then on the regular, he's giving you opportunities to connect with the pros, get in the game, get on that first rung of the ladder and climb your way up. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinnell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Yeah, it's complicated, but uh, thankfully, Johnny's smart. If you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production, singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other Johnny D. What's happening, brother? Man, I'm just looking forward to some more coffee and learning about all this blockchain stuff. So I feel like I should be caffeinated. <laughs> but I'm good, man. Dude, my nipples are hard. Recorded, we just had Easter. You're not so even going to need caffeine. You're not even going to need it. My, my nipples gonna, are hard. You're going to break it down? I'm going to break it down and get you so excited. This is so sweet. It's going to give you cavities. This information oh, is going to up your dental bill. The difference is you're going to be able to afford it. So, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, listen, before we get into that, let's take care of a little business here. As always, we are super proud to be a part of American Songwriter Magazine's podcast network, ASPN. And if you are a climber, you've been a climber for a long time. But by the way, we just had our five-year anniversary couple weeks ago we forgot to mention that i think yeah so we've been doing this for five years so congratulations my brother you too thank you and if you're one of the loyal climbers that have been following us go check out some of these other shows on the podcast network they're killer there's lots of good information on there and if you came to us through the podcast network and discover us there we'll welcome to the climb all right So join the Climb community. We have a thriving Facebook community. Just search for the Climb community on Facebook. Ask to be let in. We let everybody in, but you do have to ask. And you've got to play by the rules. There's not that many of them. I mean, it's rock and roll, baby, but you got to play by the rules or we're going to ask you, okay? But this is a lot of writers getting together with co-writes, a lot of people talking about their wins. This is a peer group for you. This is not a consumer group for you. These people aren't going to buy your CDs or probably go to your show and travel to do it, but they are interested in how you're getting people to buy your CDs and how you're getting people to go to your show and how you're writing songs and who you're writing with and where you're recording it and all that. And so that's the kind of group, this is the movers and the shakers and the beautiful people of the new music industry here. And we are the proud curators of this community. We want you to join. So come and check it out. And we got some good wins, buddy. We do have some wins. I'm just looking those up. So I'm going to share a couple of them with you. So explain what the wins are real quick. Yeah. So, yeah. So every every Wednesday we have the New Heights post. We post that and then we encourage you to, as a comment under there, so we all know where to find them. That's where the party is. As a comment, you leave one of your music-related wins for the week. And so we can celebrate and congratulate and all that good stuff. I'm trying to think of another a gate word. Insta- instigate. No, we don't want to instigate. You instigate. We'll celebrate participate, all that good stuff. But yeah, so uh, 
every week. So it's just a little shot in the arm. So I, Will uh, and Darlene Gunnell, uh, who actually just did the last uh, send in the last song title challenge, I believe. So he said, check right. my BMI account. And found I made a whopping $2.41. Can't complain. That's the first time I received royalties from them. Just need to move the decimal to the right about three or four places. So I saw that. I commented on yeah. that. Yeah, I did too. So, Will, I'm glad you posted that because that is a win. I mean, that first check from a PRO, that means something. I mean, he felt good enough about it to post it. I think you should too if you get one of those checks. That's a win, man. That's zero to something is a huge victory. That's two dollars and forty one cents of mailbox money that you didn't have the day before you got that check. I mean, that step from zero to something is huge in the music business. Yeah, and then the comment I made was like, you could, you can move the decimal over one at a time, right? So if two dollars and forty one cents, if you did that, you can easily now do twenty dollars and forty one cents, right? Because mm -hmm. all of a sudden that's doable now. Right. Like you yeah, just prove is. to yourself that you can go make something, do something with it, put it up somewhere. And then magically money comes back and That's it goes right. into your mailbox and it comes in a check that you can cash and you can buy a, a couple packs of bubble gum with that two dollars and forty one cents. But still, it works. The system works. So yeah. now you're like, OK, the system works. Now, what can I do to jack this up? And if you can do twenty dollars and forty one cents, you can do two hundred dollars and forty one cents. If you can do two hundred dollars and forty one cents, you can do two thousand dollars and forty one cents and just keep moving that decibel over. Just to make that the next goal. Just move that decibel one more over to the right. One spot. One more. One spot it's just time. a step to the right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> so congrats, congrats, you guys. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I'll go share one more with you. Michael Roth says, I just learned that the runes of our age, a song title, the runes of our age, is in the top five lyric winners of the Great American Song Contest. Right now, it's oh. only available pre-release on his website below, and he has the link. Special shout out to my friend Susan Rowe, who's a top five winner in the singer-songwriter category. So, Michael Roth. Congratulations, top five lyric winner on the Great American Song Contest. So he is no newbie to winning some of that stuff. I think he had something win the NSAI Lyric Contest, won his lyrics before. So he's just solid. He's a member of the Songwriting Pro membership community as well. So I get to hang out with him on jam sessions. He's just a good dude living out West. So living his West life. He knows how life. to make the donuts. There you go. Get it done. There you so, go. Yeah, West man. life, best life. Yep. <laughs> That's a t-shirt right there. West there life, go, yeah. best life. There you go, yeah. <laughs> that just happened. You're welcome, Michael Roth. <laughs> there you uh, go, yeah. So subscribe to the podcast wherever you, uh, wherever you consume your podcasts. Make sure you leave a rating and review. And finally, listen, Brent and I don't take the time that you spent with us lightly at all. We're very mm -hmm. grateful. We completely understand how valuable your time is and the fact that you spend – let's just say a pretty solid average of 45 minutes a week with us on the main episodes mm -hmm. is a big deal to us, but you don't do it because you're on a outreach for Johnny and Brent program and you feel, <laughs> and you want us to feel good about ourselves. You do it because we're adding some kind of value and therefore tell a friend about it. Right. If it comes from you, man, these people are going to be like, okay, uh, even if it's one episode, just listen, you get them on one episode, We'll take care of the rest. We always there you do. Go. You just bring them to <laughs> You just, you just get, get them one hit. Give them that first hit for free. And Brandon, right. I'll take care of everything else. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into this. Are you ready to get schooled, man? I'm, I'm ready to get schooled. Expand my brain. I'm going to expand your brain. So All right. First of all, let's just talk about this. Blockchain is the platform from which lots of different things are built off of. Blockchain is very essentially a transparent chain of servers, okay? Mm -hmm. And so when you put something on there, there's a code that's put on it. It's there. When that server fills up or that little block of data fills up, it gets sealed off. It can't be touched. And another block goes on top of it. Another block goes on top of it. And if you think about like Legos, it, it just... It, you can't screw that. You can't alter it. You can't copy it. You can't. It, it, it has done what hasn't been able to really been accomplished before in the digital world, which is create scarcity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I, I feel like that is quite nebulous to a lot of people right. and what this means. So this is what we're going to deep dive in today. But first of all, mm. if you heard of Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a monetary token, a monetary coin, what they call stable coin that's on the blockchain platform. There's also Ethereum. There's also Flow. There's different kind of coins, different monetary systems 
that are on there, okay, and that exist on there, along with NFTs, for instance, non-fungible tokens. We'll talk about that in a second. But don't underestimate the value of these little community monetary systems. If you remember a, a number of episodes ago, Brent and I were freaking out about the Marshmallow concert that was held, a live concert that was held and 10 million people attended the concert on the Fortnite gaming platform, which is a digital mm-hmm. platform. So 10 million people watched a live show on the digital platform, which is just unfreaking believable. But what made it more unbelievable was when I found out they were selling merch. <laughs> Digital merch. And I remember telling my sister this and my, at the time, 11-year-old nephew was like, yeah, man, I watched that concert. I love Marshmallow. I'm like, you're kidding me. He's like, no. And he goes, yeah, I bought the skin. And he's telling me this in front of mom and dad, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, you bought the skin. What does that mean? He goes, yeah, I paid for it. It It's like 5,000 Fortnite bucks. And I looked at my sister, you know, just with sort of a frowny face, like, what the hell does that mean? And she's like, hold on a second. And her eyes roll up to the side of the head where you're thinking, you know, and she's like, okay, that's like 20 bucks. And then, and then of course the father, Charlie, his dad was like, wait, what? And then Jen, my sister's like, it was his money. It was all his (laughs) money. It was okay. Like, you know, he's like, you know, so that whole thing went down and it was like a real thing. So even there in gaming communities, they have monetary systems, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, right. Let's just start with this. Let's talk about fungible. Here's the definition of fungible, okay? Fungible, of goods contracted for without an individual specimen being specified, able to replace or be replaced by another identical item, mutually interchangeable, Mm -hmm. okay? So the best example that I can think of from that definition of a, a fungible is a dollar. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's something I've heard for years is money is fungible. It's yeah. a, a dollar in your bank account is indistinguishable from any other dollar in your bank account. They're all just dollars. Yeah, it's, it's indistinguishable the value, from the cash dollar in my pocket. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can exchange one dollar for another dollar. Exactly. But when it's fungible, you have no record for when that dollar was created, who hmm. was first to own it, and therefore no transactional history of that exact dollar. All you know is, is that it's definitely got some cocaine residue on it, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's fungible. Okay. Now, non-fungible tokens and blockchain bring scarcity and provenance into the digital realm. Scarcity for all intents and purposes didn't exist prior to blockchain. Okay. So it's, it's more like a car title. Yeah. It's more like a car title. Every time you buy or sell a car, there's a new signature goes on the title, right? Oh, you're going down. You're going down the road. I'm about to go down right now to explain okay. this even further. Okay. You're right. You're right I'm on it, man. You're right on it. Yeah. To wrap this around, so my little bitty brain can wrap around it. Yep. Yep. No, I got it. And you're going right down there. So let's just talk about non-scarcity for a second. Think of Napster. Mm-hmm. And all the damage that created, right? Where they're just going to copy this digital file and share it for free. Yep. Right. No value. Everybody can do it. Think of think of something stupidly simple as Microsoft Word, where you can cut and paste anything. Mm -hmm. Right. So non fungible means the token is one of a kind. Blockchain is completely transparent so that each one of a kind token has a transparent transactional history. So if we equate like the one of a kind thing to. On the surface to art, like fine art, like the Mona Lisa, which we've talked about before, right? There's only one, and scarcity makes it valuable, right? Mm-hmm. But most people don't know this, but half the damn paintings you look at when you go to fine art museums aren't the real paintings. Mm-hmm. They're knockoffs. <laughs> That's they what put I them up on Falcon and Winter Soldier episode three on Friday night. They mentioned. Yeah, that. there you go. I mean, they put those up there. Why? Because they don't want the real paintings to be damaged. Because there's only one, which is weird. But I mean, aside from that, that's still hard for us normal folk to get our heads around. Mm. So let's talk about what I think a lot of people in terms of transactional history, and let's do better than a car, because mm-hmm. the importance of a piece of fine art doesn't necessarily resonate with most people beyond the scarcity of the actual painting. Let's talk about buying a house. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, I think of two different things with regards to the transactional history of any piece of property. Every home purchase requires title insurance. Mm-hmm. And most people gloss over title insurance as a necessary step to the purchase process because it is, right? Mm-hmm. But very few understand why it's necessary. Title insurance buys you insurance on the accuracy of the transactional history of the property that you're purchasing. Okay. That the person selling me the house really has the house and is able right. to sell. Right. And that it's free and clear to be sold. Right. Exactly. And with every home and or property that's purchased, you're trusting that every deed, every transaction ever recorded on that particular piece of property for as long as they've been buying and selling property was accurately recorded, accurately filed after it was recorded, and never compromised in a fire, flood, tornado, earthquake, hurricane, stolen, blah, 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 blah. So what happens if it's not accurate? Guys, like if you go down this rabbit hole, it'll, it'll freak the crap out of you. But uh, there are literally thousands of horror stories. One day you're eating dinner with your family at a home you purchased years ago, and some dude knocks on the door with a fistful of documents and a local sheriff behind him telling me you got to vacate his property because you're trespassing. Because his family bought that house in 1920, and yeah. it's been sold five times since then, but that sale never probably went through away from his family. It's his family's property. You're swatting. Exactly. Or somebody made a mistake, a clerical uh-huh. error, or my father was, we've determined now after you know 85 years of lawsuits that my father wasn't in the right mind to sell that property. And so therefore that transaction wasn't blah, blah, blah. And bottom line, get get the hell out of my house, you know? So mm-hmm. it, title insurance insures you against a crazy situation and it will provide a remedy for either returning the money that you paid for the property that you have to vacate or compensating the dude who knocked on the door, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing I think about is providence, aka the chain of ownership. Now, this can add a social value of sorts to the property. My, um, I'll give you a prime example here. My buddy Dave Fowler is the musical director for Billy Bob Thornton's band, cool. uh, the famous actor. And when Billy was married to Angelita Jolie, they purchased a home formerly owned by the famous Hollywood film director, Cecil B. DeMille. Mm. Cecil directed the first film ever shot in Hollywood in 1915. And that launched what would become Paramount Studios. He directed the very first film ever shot in Hollywood. So essentially, Hollywood exists in Hollywood because of him, right? Wow. And he was really huge. He was best known for his epic religious movies. So it was kind of appropriate the day after Easter here. Yeah. I mean, he directed the Ten Commandments, Cleopatra, Samson, and Deliah. He, and this, this has a cool factor in the chain of ownership. Mm-hmm. This may not matter to you, Climber, but it matters to a lot of people. Yeah. Remember oh, the Seinfeld episode? <laughs> tell me oh, yours. Tell me yours. Okay. So uh, I'm a I'm a fraternity guy. I'm, I'm a member of Tau Kappa Epsilon, TKE fraternity. So back at Arkansas State, Beta Psi chapter, I was a member there. And when you join, you go through the whole ceremony, you sign a membership scroll. Has every member's name on. It's a series of scroll. Otherwise, it'd be a really long scroll. But you have a scroll number, and every member of Beta Psi Chapter, Tau Kappa Epsilon Fraternity, has their name on that scroll. I'm Beta Psi, scroll number 1218. So I was a 1,218th man to to sign uh, as a Beta Psi member. At 318 is a dude named Aaron Elvis Presley. Oh, hello. Yeah, so he he was initiated as an honorary teak back in the 60s. I went to Graceland, they did the whole thing, and he's on there and stuff. And anyway, when we got to look through some old scrolls, long story, but when you open it up and you see 318 and you see Elvis Aaron Presley, you're like, holy crap. And my name is like, what, 900 later? You know, but on this same thing. Yeah. That is freaking cool. And of course, you got all the other stuff of, you know, fraternity and, and that whole kind of bond thing too. But just going, wow, he held this piece of paper and signed it. And went through the same ceremony I did and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of my story of having yeah. that, tra- not really a chain of ownership, but of going, wow, we, we all signed on to this thing together, you know? Yeah, dude, you're in the presence of greatness. Yeah. It's super cool. That scroll has some energy to it. That's, that's just fascinating. Yeah. Um, so this is why NFTs are so interesting all of a sudden here. NFTs, non-fungible tokens, are a part of blockchain. And... 
I want to tell everybody this. I'm going to give you a forewarning here. NFTs right now are in a big, big bubble. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're the new shiny object that everybody wants. And the bubble's going to burst very shortly, like in a matter of months, if not a matter of weeks. And the more I read, the more I really truly believe that they're going to be around for a while. So get ready for some bad press. Okay. Get ready for some people saying, oh, I lost my butt on NFTs because a lot of people are going to lose their butts on NFTs. But it's just like, like a housing market in any given community. You know, when I was in the mortgage industry in the 2000s and I had a couple clients that I remember in particular, one dude was a ticket clerk for Southwest out of McCarran Airport and made 28,000 bucks a year. And another guy was uh, a pastor at a church in Central California. He made, I think he made like about 45 grand a year, but each one of them had about $6 million in freaking properties because they were allowed to purchase them. You know what I mean? And it was a bubble and they were speculating, speculating, right? So housing markets go up, they come down, they go up. But over time, what makes the housing market valuable is that you can't make any more land. Right. <laughs> land. So one thing they're not making more of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you're going to hear some bad press, but don't let this dissuade you from the platform, okay? So just like the housing markets in any given community, the NFT market is going to fluctuate in the short term. But I believe over time, like over the next 30 years, it's going to increase, increase, increase. Just well, like, like you know, Beanie Babies, right? That was a hot thing what, back in the 90s, early 90s. Yeah. Everybody was yep. buying Beanie Babies, and now they just aren't worth flip anymore. But you know what? It was a fad. It was a fad, but collectibles are still a good investment. Maybe just not Beanie Babies. So NFTs, there's going to be a bubble at first. It's just like, well, it's those things. But the platform, the thought of non-fungible tokens, this scarcity of digital items is still valid. Maybe just not this thing or that thing. we got to learn how to use them, right? Here's the difference with collectibles. It's the platform, right? So this is Mm – Beanie Babies were like a fad. Right. Right. And it was like the pet rock. That was a fad. It was this little fad that happened. Everybody had to have one Elmo doll that one year. Everybody went crazy. Mm -hmm. And then it went away. The difference in this is, is that even if NFTs are a fad, let's say NFTs go away, man, Mm -hmm. blockchain, the platform that it's on is here to stay. So you bring up a really good point, which is don't be naive to the subject matter and conflate the NFT or Bitcoin or Ethereum markets with the blockchain technological paradigm shift okay focus on the platform they're going to be winners and losers all along the way much like there was during the dot-com boom mm-hmm. now some climbers here we got some, some some young ones maybe were born in 2001 but in 2001 there were so many publicly traded companies that were way overpriced because of the intoxication of the of the dot-com bubble mm-hmm. so savvy investors people who knew what they were doing were happily paying $400 a share for a piece for a share of stock in a company that had yet to make $1 of revenue, let alone $1 of profit mm-hmm. and revenue profit being two completely different things. They hadn't made any of those. It was just an idea. Hey, we're going to deliver yeah. groceries to everybody. Nobody's ever going to have to go to the grocery store again. But we got yeah. a website. We yeah. And we got, a, we got a freaking website and some VC money because they believe it too. And so you should too. And then guess what? The reality of the situation fell out. The stock market basically, I think, got cut in half and Mm. crashed because this was speculation. They were speculating instead of homes. Now they're speculating on ideas of stock as opposed to a savvy investor investing in, let's say, General Electric and looking at a prospectus. And here's how long the company's been in business here, how much revenue they have. Here's the overhead. Here's the debt. Here's, you know, boom, boom, boom. It's all there. It's very, very clear. And then you make a savvy decision. None of this existed for like 98% of these dot-com companies, you know? So we had a huge crash in the tech market because savvy investors, along with ignorant newbies, were all speculating on the value of a company that received a bunch of venture capital money And it was a gold rush, essentially. That's what's happening right now with NFTs. So make sure you separate that event from the reality, because after the crash or the dot-com crash, how many people do you think bailed on the concept of the internet and dot-com companies? Because they got burned. Right. A lot of them. But if you purchased like Apple or Amazon stock during this crash when it was like super low, (laughs) you'd be loving life today, baby, because look at what's going on now. 
because mm-hmm. two things were true at the same time. Yes, these were great ideas, and most of them failed. Mm-hmm. But the ones that didn't, the platform was still there, and they're thriving, okay? So focus on the platform. I encourage everybody here to deep dive on blockchain on YouTube. There's tons of videos that you can watch that from the, you know, hey, 45 minutes, I'm going to teach you what blockchain does, to deeper interviews and stuff, but get into this because I want you to let your creative mind wander freely as to how many different ways this tech will benefit you as an artist, as a songwriter, etc. Okay. Brent, do you remember when I said that there was no reason why 20 million artists can't have 20 million projects on 20 million different servers and keep track of every single transaction and get paid for every single stream and get paid for all the traffic they create? Mm-hmm. I do. I think there's just a couple episodes ago. It was. And then I was reiterating the fact that we kind of talked about that on a much vaguer level, but I was orbiting around that planet like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? The platform, and I'm not talking about blockchain now, I'm talking about actual audio and video platform already here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the video and audio platforms are already here. Now, once again, I'm going to tell you about these two platforms, okay? These are brand names. And it's probably likely that they're going to screw it up. If we think about streaming, right, and think about what was the first streaming service? Was it Pandora or was it Rhapsody? One of the two. I don't know. But Rhapsody kind of fell by the wayside. Pandora is still around. But, man, they were way, way ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. And it took, like, a number of different iterations of streaming services before Spotify nailed it. Mm-hmm. Right. And Spotify nailed it and then figured out how to make it ubiquitous enough that people would, uh, the market would adopt it because it doesn't matter that you're right. We still have to believe it and right. we still have to buy into it. And then now we have, you know, Amazon and Apple and all these other streaming platforms and they're all doing the same thing. So I just want you to pay attention to it. Okay. Get on the platform. Don't get on the platform. It's up to you. But, um, Because one of these two may fail and probably will fail does not mean that the third or fourth iteration that comes after that isn't going to finally nail it and we're going to finally get there, but it has to be Mm -hmm. refined, right? They're all going to go forth and make mistakes and break stuff. I was a member of Friendster for like a couple months. Friendster was, I think, right around the time of MySpace. Yep. And where's Friendster now? No idea. But you know what? It didn't last, but hey, Facebook is still around. Yeah. And guess what? Don't think that Zuckerberg wasn't acutely aware of everything that Friendster did and everything that MySpace did and built on the shoulders of those platforms and said, hey, I'm going to refine this and do something a little different, create the velvet rope. But Mm -hmm. you have to ask me if we can be friends and I'm going to maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And blah, 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 blah. So I'm down the road. So video platform Theta, T-H-E-T-A, is the YouTube of blockchain technology. It's a decentralized video streaming platform on blockchain technology, okay? And you can dive deep on Theta by going to thetatoken.org, T-H-E-T-A token.org, okay? And you can read the white paper on that. This is the paper that they're using to get the VC money, the, the venture capital money that they're getting. They're explaining what the problem is, the problem that they're solving. Here's what our technology is doing. We're already doing this, blah, blah, blah. And you can really kind of read up on what these guys are up to, okay? If you've gotten your head around the fact that, and I hope that you have for the love of all that is holy. <laughs> like if you haven't figured out that you got to be creating traffic right now, okay, and you got to be getting yeah. subscribers and you got to be putting out content. Out Welcome to the climb. You, I think yeah, you'll stick around. I climb. think you'll like the show. Go back about 250 episodes and just work your way up, okay? <laughs> but knowing that that's the truth, here's the way to protect all the traffic that you're going to create. Because once again, I think all too often artists are getting intoxicated with the distributor brand names and the distribution, like Spotify. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a... There's about three or four things that can be true at the same time here. You know, Spotify is the industry benchmark. So if mm-hmm. you're trying to prove to the industry that you're worth something or whatever, well, they're going to look at Spotify. They might not understand the value of Theta yet. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or of, and now Theta is a video platform. So, you know, they get YouTube, they don't get Theta yet. Right. I remember this with um, our artists when we were trying to get them qualified three years ago, if you can imagine this, three years ago trying to get them qualified for CMAs so they can be qualified to play on a CMA stage. Mm -hmm. And at that time, just three years ago, the requirements to be on a CMA stage had 
some social media requirements, but it was all Facebook. Mm -hmm. There was no Instagram. Instagram three years ago was yeah. Oh, you know there was wasn't TikTok. Wasn't factored in. Yeah, like we don't care that you're a rock star on Instagram. You suck because you've only got five thousand Facebook followers, but you've got a million Instagram followers. Like, not going to uh, get yeah. on it. You see how this is new stuff. You have to be well versed on this. But my point is, man. Yeah, exactly. You got to be aware that Spotify is just a benchmark. It's good for this and this, but you're not getting discovered on it. You're really not. Right. You know. Now you can make a lot of money on there. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. There's thirteen thousand four hundred dollars that made fifty grand on streaming. And when I say Spotify, I mean Amazon and all the streaming services combined. But so you can make money on there, but they're not getting discovered. Right. Okay. And so there's a difference there. But here on this video platform, every single video view you get is yours. There's a transactional history that anybody can look at and see. And now I'm going to go into why that's exciting here in a second. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, climbers, welcome to some help. That's right. We want to turn you on to a professional service by our sponsor, BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com. Listen, as singers, songwriters, and artists, our greatest strength is sometimes our greatest weakness, and that is our emotional intensity. Listen, it helps you create great art, but it can also torpedo not just your career, but your life. And we don't want the bad stuff. We just want the great art. We want your emotions to be a source of help, not hurt. And that brings us to BetterHelp.com. Sorry, guys, it's not a crisis line. This is not a self-help line. This is a professional counseling service that's done securely online. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. And as an artist and as somebody who deals with artists, the licensed professional counselors that they have, the stuff they specialize in, I'm going to read you just a quick little list. I've had to deal with all these at one point or another, either myself or with other artists. So this is real stuff. Depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trouble sleeping. A lot of us have had traumas, anger, family conflicts. If LGBTQ matters, grief from loss is something, a loved one maybe. And and just about every artist I know, I don't, I don't think I know one that doesn't secretly have a little self-esteem issue going on. So here's somebody you can talk to. That's right. And you can start communicating with them in under 48 hours. So you don't have to wait long to start talking to somebody. Also, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available, which is great. I'm always happy to see that. And the service is available for clients worldwide, meaning you don't have to just find somebody local who understands you, but that you might run into at the grocery store. You can find counselors worldwide. So it doesn't matter where you are. That's right, guys. If you want to dig down a little deeper on this, there's a ton of testimonials that you can research that are on their website at betterhelp.com. And this podcast is this because we want you to win. We don't want this stuff to get in the way of your artist's career. So if this can help, then we want to help you help yourself. So as a climber, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash songwriter. 
Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash songwriter. So can they also see like everybody that's viewed that video then? No, it's not transactional in the sense that I know what you did on it right but i do know that there was a view and that it happened now i the owner of that channel gets the information okay yeah because so i can know that it's brent but but in other words the accuracy of the numbers and everything is transparent to the entire market but the personal stuff the names and stuff like that that's going to be the accounts are going to be transparent to the owner okay right if that makes sense whereas right now on youtube on spotify we take their numbers and go all right yeah, great. I'm doing great. Now, who are they? Like Disney Plus numbers, uh, Netflix numbers. They don't always release those numbers. You don't really know how many views they're getting, right? Yeah, the same thing. exactly. Spotify can jack with your views. YouTube can jack with your views. I don't know. I can't really audit that, right? But with blockchain, you're supposed right. to be able to have a more accurate right. account that's visible it's because it's, it's decentralized well it's going to be a very accurate account they can't deplatform you they can't throttle your numbers up they can't squash your numbers down they can't take away subscribers or take away video views which is happening to one of my artists now mm-hmm. so you know there's no big brother there's no middleman and also you know who it is that saw you now right now so listen, we're, we're going baby steps for years now. We have been talking about radio plays. You get a number one hit. Great. Who heard it? I don't know. So right. if you spent that same money doing digital marketing on Facebook, at least you have this category of people that watch your video from 25% or 50% or 75% or 100% of the way through. You don't know that it's Brent Baxter mm-hmm. from this place in this town and blah, blah, blah. But you do know that that is an account and you can retarget that by, guess what? Paying Facebook to mm-hmm. use their data to go back through there, which is by far a monumentally more efficient way <laughs> to build your audience than this. So this is great, but this is the next level. Now you know who mm-hmm. it is and you can reach out to them directly, okay? So Audius, A-U-D-I-U-S, is the Spotify of blockchain technology. Okay, this is a decentralized audio streaming platform on blockchain technology. They've got about 500,000 people on that platform right now and you can visit them at audius.co audius.co and you can read about what they're doing and check it out okay I, I encourage you to learn about these two companies these might not be the brand names that make it through man that become the ubiquitous brand names but they're on it right now okay so now let's get into the five reasons why you're going to benefit from these platforms and what this means, okay? So, Brent, you touched on this before. Blockchain eliminates the middleman. It mm-hmm. brings very little value, okay? Very little value. Spotify, what value does it really bring you? Spotify shares consumption information with the labels so that they know exactly how a single is performing, but... Mm-hmm. The second that Spotify says that this is, you know, Johnny D from Nashville, Tennessee, and here's his email address, they become irrelevant because it's just an audio player. Yeah. So check this out. The music industry generated $43 billion in revenue last year. A lot of money. And only 12% went to the artists. That's not a lot of money. That's not a big percentage. Let's, let's repeat that, okay? The music industry generated $43 billion in revenue last year, and only 12% went to the artists. Now, Spotify doesn't generate that revenue. No. The labels don't necessarily generate that revenue. It's the artists that make the product that the labels are promoting, right? So if you want a comparison on a different industry, because the artists generate the traffic, that generates the revenue, mm-hmm. let's look at the NFL. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they create this wild entertainment with this whole season of football. It's exciting, everything's going on, and they're selling tickets, they're selling concessions, they're selling ad time, ad space, and they're generating boatloads of revenue. Well, the players in the NFL get 47% of the revenue that's generated. That's a big difference. Big difference, difference. right? Why? Because, man, I'm Aaron Rodgers, bro. (laughs) (laughs) 
I fill stadiums, right? Watch me work. <laughs> well, it's a small enough universe, I guess, where the players can get together and say, uh-uh. Yes. We deserve a better share. Whereas music, you got all these artists who are not joiners. And yeah, how do they band together and do that? But this is removing some of that. This is removing the middleman, right? Yeah. So imagine the NFL without owners <laughs> and everybody's on blockchain. I mean, like this, like the, the ramifications of this are I blow my mind. I mean, it's mostly the stuff I haven't thought of yet that freaks me out on how cool uh-huh. this can be. So that can change because right now there's two levels of middlemen in the music industry. You've got the streaming services and then you've got the PROs and they're all taking mm-hmm. their cut. Yep. And then they're all waffling on the deal too. You know, ASCAP, we 15% and we collect all your money. Well, since I can't monitor every single freaking performance worldwide, mm-hmm. that seems like a pretty good deal. Okay, I'll take that. Oh, and by the way, some of this revenue that you created over here is not going to be considered like revenue because it's not fair to everybody else. And so we're going to take some of that too, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> On top of 15% of the freaking music industry or as i ran into oh yeah you had a top 10 single in texas on the texas charts but it didn't show up at all in any of our surveyed reported stations here and there and just sample these smaller stations you did well enough to get a top 10 but it didn't show up in our survey so you get zero dollars i've had that so we're, yeah we're gonna keep it made like, money i'm like it, it made money i can show but you it goes the into the and you don't get it yeah, I can show you the screenshot of the chart. It got played. They're like, yeah, but it didn't show up in our sample, so we're not going to pay you for it because it never showed up. See, BS, man. This is it. So this is the difference between broadcast and digital. This is what makes it so exciting. So with that middleman, right, with that broadcast platform, artists have minimal control over how their music is distributed. Mm-hmm. Artists have little visibility into who's streaming it, who's watching it. Artists create the traffic. In the digital world, distribution doesn't matter. Distribution doesn't matter. Distribution is where you go to consume something. Marketing is why you're going there to consume it. Mm-hmm. Okay? So there's no foot traffic on iTunes or Spotify, really, where you're just running along and, oh, my God, look at that shop. Let's go in there. In Spotify, you do have a little bit of it because you can make a lot of money on streaming if you're on the right playlist. Mm-hmm. But they're still not – they still don't know it's you. You're a yeah. ghost. And that's not a bad thing to make the money, but you, you're going to need a brand name to sell some tickets, man. So distribution doesn't matter on the digital platform because your content is accessible via any link. So as long as you have the demand, it doesn't matter. They're going to link to wherever you link it to, whether it's mm-hmm. Spotify or your blockchain server, right? <laughs> so Audius and Theta create different token economies powered by platform tokens, third-party stable coins like Bitcoin, for instance, and Ethereum, and artist tokens, okay? And if this is above your pay grade right now in your head, you're having a hard time getting around this, I've got the perfect source to go and really deep dive on this. It's your kids. If your kids are gamers, <laughs> they get this. They, they totally get it, okay? Again, my nephew is one of 10 million people who watched the Marshmallow Live show with Fortnite. He purchased a, a skin for his character, which is the marshmallow face that he got to put on his Fortnite character with 5,000 Fortnite bucks, which is $20 of real hard American dollars, mm-hmm. okay? These little economies exist everywhere. Get on board. Get well, on board. Like, okay, here's another one. Chuck E. Cheese. So yeah. you walk into Chuck E. Cheese and it takes tokens to play or it takes, yeah, it takes tokens to play the games. What do you do? You put dollars, U.S. dollars, if you're in the U.S. dollars in the Chuck E. Cheese change thing yeah. and they give you tokens. Now you can use those to play, but it's backed up by real dollars. That's right. There you go. There you go. Right. So that's kind of how those gamers are. It's backed up by real dollars, but they're getting tokens they can play inside that world of Chuck E. Cheese. That may be stupid, but anyway. There you I go. Well, the only difference is like you can't cash out on your tokens, right? Basically, uh, you buy the no. tokens, you've got to spend them, right? You've got to spend them, yeah. You Let's can? Yeah, no, you've got to spend them. So, so, so this can go, back and, can go back and forth. But mm-hmm. again, two layers of middlemen, which not only diminishes payments to the artist, but guess what? Slows the payments mm-hmm. to the artist. I mean, Brent... You had a big hit with Monday Morning Church. Yeah. You wrote the song. Alan Jackson cut it. The record gets released. After the record gets released, how long until you got your first check? 
Well, let's see. Okay, let's. Uh, I think it was released as a single October of two thousand four. That was third quarter. So first money started showing up. So they could take to the end of the quarter. So it would have been year in two thousand four. They gather up that money. They send it to say ASCAP. ASCAP processes that money through the first quarter. So that'd be three thirty one. So March thirty first of two thousand five. And then I maybe get my first check half 45 days after, which be, uh, what is that, mid-May for a spin that happened maybe mid-October. So about six months out, something like that. Okay. Now, same thing maybe for, you know, now you're talking about mechanicals is another thing too. Go down that road. Mechanicals, they would pay... Yeah, so uh, I can't remember when the album was released exactly. Let's say it was also released mid-October. So you get the sales from October through the end of the year, so the end of that quarter, end of 2004. And the record label, let's see, they would have that money would go to them, or I'm not even sure how long it takes that money to get to the label from the store. But it's got to go through my admin people, and then they get 45 days. So probably about six months on that as well, actually. So, yeah, like six months. There you go. It's slowing the commerce as well. So Mm -hmm. let's get into the part that's just, this is going to blow your mind. Blow your mind because you haven't thought about all this stuff, okay? But this stuff is real. It's already happening, okay? Blockchain creates provenance. Provenance or provenance? Provenance. Provenance? No, provenance. Yeah, provenance. Okay. Provenance is proof of ownership and proof of the history of ownership, the transactional history of a certain thing. This matters for so many freaking different reasons that I can't even think of right now. We're only going to talk about the stuff I can think of. All right. But first, let's talk about secondary markets. How many of you have purchased in the past a used book? I do it all the time on Amazon. Used mm-hmm. CDs, albums, cassette tapes. You mentioned this a couple episodes ago, Brent. I can't remember what the timeline was, but you were saying Garth Brooks was appropriately, in my opinion, kind of barking about yeah. Secondary market sales. Like this you go to a like, used CD store. Uh, mid uh, 2000, like 2005, 2006, maybe something like that. Uh, maybe even before then. But, well, maybe, yeah, maybe in the late 90s, probably. But for a while, Garth was not a fan of used record stores, used CD music stores, or stores that had the used stuff in it that you could also buy. So you could go to Walmart and buy the Garth Brooks collection. At what I don't know, ten bucks a pop at the time, maybe, or you go to this used mm-hmm. CD warehouse, whatever, go through the used ones, find a decent fresh horses, and buy it for like five bucks. Now, a lot of people got yeah. mad at Garth because they're like, "Oh, he's just greedy." Because I get to save some money on buying his record. He's already sold that record. He's being greedy. His thing was the writers are not getting paid on that second sale. My yeah. team, my writers yeah. are not getting – Kent Blaze is not getting paid. Pat Alger, Larry Bastian, Charlie Steffel, they're not getting paid when you buy that record. They deserve to be paid. You're buying their, their work. And so he was against the, the used record store. Yeah. Now, let's just take a – this is not a perfect corollary, but it is a corollary. You go, you buy a brand-new car. Mm-hmm. You've got to pay sales tax on that car. Yeah, you do. And then you drive the car up a lot and you keep that for a couple of years. And let's say you sell that car and somebody comes and buys your car, your used automobile. Mm-hmm. They got to pay sales tax on that, too. Just for the privilege of buying something. For the privilege of buying something. But now that's not but that's a tax. But yeah. my point being that there's a secondary market for things of value. Music has value. There's a secondary market for music. Automobiles have value. There's a secondary market for automobiles. And mm-hmm. it's not like you just get to buy a car without having to you know, get a tag for it and, mm-hmm. and pay taxes on it and blah, blah, blah. So it's a loose corollary, but you get the point. The, the idea is, yeah, the artists and the songwriters don't get paid on the secondary market. With blockchain, this changes everything, mm-hmm. right? You'll get paid for every stream, every video, and even more for the comments and likes with engaged traffic, okay? So currently, the streaming platforms operate much the same way that the PROs operate. All the revenue that's generated on subscription fees, 
that's generated on advertising that's on the platform because they have what? Traffic. Mm -hmm. And so that's important for advertisers. They want to advertise in front of these eyeballs for these artists because that demographic is the kind of crap that we're selling. And we want to advertise that to them. Then they pull all the traffic together and they create a pie chart and they pay out the artists according to which artists generate the most of the traffic, right? Which, of course, is that's going to favor the major label artists, the bigger brand names. But what if you're an artist that has a thousand people that subscribe to Spotify and mostly only listen to you and like a small handful of other indie artists? Mm -hmm. Okay. And the current model, all that money goes to Lady Gaga, Tim McGraw, you too, Ed Sheeran, (laughs) et cetera. Even though they didn't generate that particular piece of traffic, you did. What if you're, let's take it to another level. What if you're an artist that has a thousand people who subscribe to Spotify solely for your music? Right. That's ten thousand dollars a month in subscription fees. You're not seeing a penny of. Mm-hmm. And you may think, well, that's ridiculous, Johnny. Like we're indie. We're smart. Well, man, there are plenty of indie artists right now with millions of subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. To their specific channel. And then I think about like those those two dudes on was it Midnight in Vegas dudes that I, I don't know. That they're, they're on Patreon. They're like these really super sharp two black guys and they sit in front of two microphones with a camera on them and they listen to music and they freak out on it. Oh, that's right. right. You told me about them. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really cool when they get into music that they don't normally listen to. Mm-hmm. It's not their groove, man. And then what are they going to think about it? Like, I don't know why. I just find these guys incredibly entertaining. I pay them $1 a month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Patreon goes right to them. Now, Patreon takes a hit, but you see my point. There's the difference. So all this chains when it gets on blockchain, right? So that's just for streaming. Think about the video content possibilities Mm -hmm. that we went down there. You're welcome, right? Because all that traffic is attributed solely to you. Now, imagine if artists created special content that was only released as NFT content. It has provenance. It can be sold traded and resold. Every transaction is accountable and the artist continues to enjoy the revenue stream from every transaction that happens on blockchain. So stop thinking about yourself as an indie artist and start thinking about yourself as an artist with with a decent following. I mean, with what I'm about to describe to you right here, any artist who's doing a side hustle with art while they're a teacher or a custodian or, you know, they're selling whatever, insurance or whatever, man, can beat their revenue stream much quicker and much easier selling their art when it's going through blockchain, okay? Because of provenance. So let's break that down. Imagine sync revenue. Imagine revenue created from selling used movies and TV shows and DVDs, right? Mm -hmm. You're getting paid again because it's synced to that, okay? Well, I wonder about um, that, like how that works, because we were talking about the Gar thing. I was like, well, that's kind of fizzled out because you know, who buys UCDs anymore? They just stream it. Well, so how long is that going to change? Do you think that the record labels are going to, as this begins to develop and get refined, man, I think that the $10 a month for access to all the music the world ever made is going to go away. <laughs> You can make it ownership again, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it might go away because they make it go away, and it might go away because it's just going to be cooler to have the provenance. Yeah, I would imagine there would be both. So let's talk like about this Like there's homeowners now. and they're renters. Exactly. And listen, you're still generating money with streaming, but now you can generate the amount of revenue that each of your streams should create mm-hmm. versus just getting screwed in the pool, so to speak. Okay. Yeah. So you could argue that Providence will ultimately eliminate all the PROs, as we talked about before, in the middleman. That just right off the bat increases every artist's revenue stream by at least 10 to 15%, not including the BS additional fees and crap that we talked about that where they steal your money. Oh, well, because we didn't talk to this one radio station that spun it. You don't get paid, but we got paid. We got yeah. paid for it Yeah, because we talked to everybody. But yeah, <laughs> or yeah. the Michael Ilsner with the network paid for the vocal bumpers on this show here, a boatload of money, 100,000 uh, bucks for a primary vocal. But we decided that that's not going to be the rule and we're going to distribute that money differently. And mm-hmm. you just got to take it up the keister, you know, screw that. Right. So that's going to change a lot of things. But check this out. Provenance means you can prove you are the first or among the first to like your favorite artist. Mm -hmm. 
Imagine being able to prove that you were right all along about Nirvana. Yeah. What does that do to excite the market of music lovers? Imagine proving that you were one of the first 10 people who purchased Nirvana's very first EP. Mm-hmm. Indie EP before they got their deal. But you saw the band, you're like, these guys, I love these guys. This is my jam. I love them. We just printed up 500 CDs. We got them back by the merch table. You're the first guy in line. You go and pay 10 bucks for that. Well, but imagine it, it's an NFT. It reminds me a little bit of like Kickstarter. You help fund this. You help us get off the ground. And this is the bundle you get. Part of that is the, here's your NFT to prove that you were one of our Kickstarters kind of thing, right? That you were one of the people that got there us you off go. the ground. You were an early investor. And you can prove it. There you go. So take this. So it's, it's a little cloudy, that example from where I'm headed with this. Okay. But uh, you have ownership rights to that first EP, right? Now, mm-hmm. so think about it like this. I, and I don't know the answer to this, but just throw one example out there. What's like the most expensive, valuable baseball card ever? I don't know. Some like a Mickey Mantle rookie or something. Yeah, Mickey Mantle rookie card, right? But how many of them did they make? Not a lot because they were rookies. They didn't know who's going to pan out or not. Right. So they didn't make a lot, but <laughs> been a long you time, don't know. So. so let's, okay, let's go down a musician road for a second. Okay. By far, one of the most acclaimed, super, super expensive vintage guitars is the 1959 Gold Top Les Paul. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the difference? And I'm pretty sure this is a difference between uh, a Mickey Mantle rookie card and a Gold Top Les Paul from 1959. What is the difference? Yeah. There's a serial number. You know which one was first, ah. which one was second, which with one the, was with third. The guitar. With the guitar. Okay. Yeah. So because there's only so many guitars, Gold Top 59 Les Pauls that they made in 1959, and for whatever reason, it's, that's like the 64 Strat. That's the shit, right? Like that's valuable because they only have so many of them. But man, if you got the first one or the, one of the first 10, that's more valuable. Yeah. That's more valuable. So- are you connecting the dots here? Imagine proving you're one of the first 10 people who purchased Nirvana's very first EP. You have ownership rights to that EP in a transparent ledger proving that you owned one of the first EPs that were minted. What would that particular EP slash, you know, NFT tokens value be worth after Nevermind comes out? Whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. Right. But that would all of a sudden be a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then, so let's just talk about that in terms of social status for a fan. Remember, this is transparent. So I can go into a wallet that uh, all the wallets that are occupied with the Nirvana stuff, and I can click on the wallet of the first 10 EPs, and I can find your name. And I know you're Brent Baxter, and you own that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, how much you want for that? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right. Okay, so, and by the way, social status, right? Like, I own one of the first ones. Like, the fans, they dig that. How many fans get pissed off? My brother-in-law's like this. Like, he loves the band when they first come out, and then the second that they get past the pioneer and the early adopter part of the law of diffusion and they hit the early majority and they become popular, Mm -hmm. he doesn't like them anymore. Right, yeah. Because it's not his anymore. Now it's everybody's, right? Mm -hmm. But this is your badge of honor, Right. Yeah. So there's a social status with that that's very real. But let's talk about the monetary thing. I mean, again, imagine purchasing one of the first 10 Nirvana EPs that were minted in the form of an NFT from the original owner, knowing that you have proof that it was one of the first 10. Yeah. Right. There's value to that now because there's scarcity. Now, imagine being Nirvana and continually getting paid for all the secondary market activity for that first crappy EP that you put out. (laughs) Holy crap, right? Yeah. Imagine purchasing an NFT of an artist that was previously owned by someone famous. Mm -hmm. Again, that goes back to the Elvis thing on the scroll going, wow, that's Elvis's name. Exactly. And my name is on that same. Imagine being able to buy an NFT, a a record of an artist that you know was previously owned by Elvis and you can prove it and everybody else can see it whenever they want. And it's like, wow. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. That's amazing. Right. So 
uh, I mean, it's just, it's mind blowing what can happen here, right? Now imagine purchasing the NFT of an artist that is previously owned by somebody famous and what that does to the value of it. Like if it's mm-hmm. one of 10 of the first Nirvana EPs, but this one was owned by Barack Obama or something, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody not even related to the music industry. Well, that's probably more valuable than the other 10, maybe, except for maybe the first one, right? Or the first yeah. issue, Spider Man, comic mm-hmm. books, those things, they yeah. have lots of value and stuff because they're demarcated, right? So now imagine being the artist and getting, again, 10% of that transaction. Mm hmm. In a secondary purchase or more. The next album comes out, you get even bigger. Now, ooh, that goes something. Somebody sells it. Somebody cashes out on it. Yeah. And as long as there's commerce happening, man, you're getting paid for it. True. Okay? Now, I was watching, in my deep dive on this, I'm watching some school teacher who's like, got to be a pretty high-level dude in terms of NFTs for some reason. I don't know how he got Gary V on an interview, but he did. And you could tell by the dynamics of Gary V, like it was really cool that Gary V did it, but this wasn't like Gary V talking to... South by or... Yeah, it's not like Gary V talking to somebody like with a big, big brand name. This guy doesn't yeah. have a brand name, right? Yeah. But he's obviously big enough or he's got some kind of relationship with Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk's on there. They're talking about NFTs. Okay, now this teacher that's interviewing him had just started creating NFT artwork. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's, he admits like it totally sucks. Like I just, it brings me joy and I do this. Now this guy is no Beeple. If you've heard about Beeple is the artist who just sold a piece of uh, artwork on NFT for $68 million. Ooh. Okay. Why? Cause there's only one. Mm-hmm. So he's not this guy. He's new. He's unknown. Just like you. Right. And he had someone come up to him and offer to buy his first piece of NFT artwork. Why? Cause it was his first. <laughs> just cause. Let that sink in. Yeah. Let's say you're Lonely Highway, man. you got a crowd of 200 people that regularly come out and see you. And you do something like this, man. Somebody's going to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to pay for that because they believe in you. You know what I mean? And they get bragging rights, you know? Now, let's talk about remixes, covers, derivative content that's largely squashed or censored by the big guys because of rights management issues. It's too much of a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. To get it all straightened out and do the paperwork, blockchain eliminates all that. Nice. You're going to get paid on it, right? And number three, blockchain means meaningful. It can be controlled or released into the market. It can be controllably released in the market. This meaningful art can be monetized in real time with real transactional accuracy. And it's fast. You get paid right away for the traffic you create as opposed to having to reach a certain level before you partake in the fruits of your labor. Before you become a big enough piece of the pie where you're getting a piece of the pie. Other than that, you're getting some minimal pennies and dollars and, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. They're paying this amount of money per stream, 0.003 cents per stream on Spotify. But I'm pretty sure that the rights holders of a Taylor Swift song get paid more than that. We don't know. It's not equal to what you get paid. Well, they do. How can they not? <laughs> right. Well, if you I average mean, it out over per stream, they're getting yeah. a huge chunk of the subscription dollars and a huge chunk of the of the pool from the streaming ad revenue. And yeah, so they get paid way more than you get paid. Why? Because they got more traffic on that. But the elephant in the room is look at how much traffic that these indie artists are bringing as a collective. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. So number four, blockchain means, again, any teacher, any mechanic, any custodian can make more money doing their art than they would at their current given vocation if they want to, if they choose to do so. Because it's all transactional. It's all there. And finally, blockchain is a complete meritocracy. Okay? It can't be squashed by bigger players. If you're good, you're good. If you market yourself and you're good, you can make money, period. Nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can squash you. Nobody can sign you because you sound like Garth Brooks and we don't want you in the marketplace. So we're going to sign you because we're the same label that Garth Brooks is on and put you on the shelf to keep you out of the marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody can say it didn't happen, man. You know what I mean? So guys, that's all I wanted to say on that. I mean, we went long on this, but Dang, this is so exciting. And I know it's hard to get your head around, but listen, there's tons of video content out there on YouTube. If you spend three hours going down this rabbit hole, it will change your life. And you're going to be in the 1% of people who understand it, especially with artists. We still got artists trying to do radio. Trying to do radio, (laughs) man. Yeah, They haven't figured out social media yet. And if you're on the blockchain, 
son. (laughs) 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 You're doing good. There you go. So guys, listen, man, if you want some one-on-one with this, we are available for consultation. Shoot us an email at info at daredevilproduction.com. Production is singular. There is no S. Put consultation in the subject line. And we can talk about different strategies that, that will get you going on this and get you headed in the right direction so that you are open for business. There's a lot of ways to make this money. Now, this is still in its infancy, guys. It's going to take a couple of years to refine, but you don't want to be the person that's just figuring it out two years from now. You want to be figuring it out now mm-hmm. so that as it starts to develop, so does your wallet which is what they call it in blockchain, what they Mm -hmm. call it in NFTs. It's a wallet. So uh, there you go, guys. Well, this podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.